Welcome to Craft of Code, a podcast brought to you by Linode that explores the stories of developers, entrepreneurs, and enterprises of all sizes from all over the world who share our mission to make cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible to all. Enterprises face a huge data management challenge today. Technology continues to make the world more interconnected. And emerging technologies like artificial intelligence create an overwhelming volume of data for companies to manage and analyze. We're talking zettabytes, which drives some pretty, pretty big and important questions. Questions like, who owns all this data? Who's in charge of it? And how do they keep it safe? And this also puts security, compliance, and privacy at the top of every organization's priority list. Today's guest understands all too well the challenges we face. She wrote her university thesis on the unnecessary collection of data and even did a TED Talk on the subject. Her name is Daphne Muller. She's the manager of Alliance's ecosystem and support at NextCloud, where they're going up against the big kahunas of office suites, people like Google and Microsoft. Their goal is to give organizations more open and private collaboration tools based on open source technology, and they've been on fire lately. Daphne, welcome to The Craft of Code. Thank you very much. So we're here to talk about data and privacy and all that really important stuff. But first, I have to know, what was it like to be up on the TED stage? Honestly, it was a life-changing experience. I had an idea worth sharing that was sitting in academic papers. My idea worth sharing is that by collecting less personal data, we get more innovation, more profitable business models, and also, most importantly, more humanity. And I was thinking, what can happen if I bring this idea out in the open and bring it beyond an academic paper? And it would possibly mean the end of surveillance capitalism and really felt that it had to be shared. And I know that's probably a, uh, you know, a component of what you're doing at NextCloud as well as, a, as an alternative. So as we, you know, to walk off the TED stage and get back into the meat of this conversation, you know, let's take a hard turn towards decentralization. It's a key pillar for the next cloud culture. You know, how do you talk about decentralization and how is it connected to innovation, privacy, and even price? That's a broad question to ask. We indeed talk a lot about decentralization and it might not be obvious to everyone that decentralization leads to more privacy directly, right? Because decentralization arguably makes some privacy technologies harder, like end-to-end -end encryption or your data might be stored on different servers like Mastodon. So it's harder to, to perhaps delete your data. So, but the way we talk about decentralization is in terms of power and power abuse because problems like privacy appear to be the product of a compromised value system where actors with basically too much power are collectively totally okay with working outside the law and outside the scope of accepted decency. So privacy violations are a product of power abuse. This is also how human rights organizations like Amnesty International talk about it. They wrote a phenomenal report about how people like you and me are not able to enjoy our human rights online without submitting ourselves to this system of human rights abuse. 
So then the question is, how can we go about these power dynamics? And then we first need to understand what makes big tech successful. And perhaps you, we all know the brilliant work of Sojana Zubov, who wrote in, in our work with many excellent points that Google and Microsoft kind of aim at, at developing impressive algorithms with our data that can then manipulate our behavior. While I agree with many of her points, my standpoint slightly contradicts with her because I think the power doesn't come from the algorithms, but by the fact that these organizations are so large. So it rather stems from the fact that big tech develops this platform where everybody depends upon. Even my grandmother depends on Facebook because if she quits Facebook, then she's no longer able to play bingo with her friends. So this is why my latest research that's not yet published concludes that the privacy paradox doesn't exist because users want privacy, but they are not able to step out of big tech because they depend on the platforms and they have to consent to terms that they could not reasonably be expected to understand. So if an organization like Meta would have less power, then they also have less ability to abuse this power. So they have less ability to abuse privacy too. And it would also open up the market to other players where privacy might be core to their existence. So as a result of that, it means that decentralization means having more players in the market. And according to classic capitalism logic, this would also open up the market to players like Nextcloud or Linode. And it would mean more innovation and better pricing. And we're watching that play out in real time right now with Twitter and Mastodon, that's for sure. Yeah, that's beautiful, right? This is a very accurate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, there are organizations of all kinds, you know, both companies and governments that are seeking out companies like NextCloud uh, because of their commitments to decentralization and privacy, right? It's what you're built on, right? It's at the core of what you do. What's it like driving them to sort of take back control of their data? What's what's driving that? What's interesting to observe from a Nextcloud perspective is that many organizations are really motivated to take back control, but they believe that it requires them to go back to the Stone Age. So they are not aware that good alternatives exist. Uh, they think they have to get back to a paper office and pigeon mill, <laughs> which is not the case. I mean, alternatives exist and they are good and reliable and provide similar functionality without the ticking time bomb of surveillance or without the consequences of tracking. Um, so the first driving factor is the realization that good solutions exist and it's not about going back in time. It's about going forward. And of course, if you are on a Microsoft infrastructure, that's not enough to change. You maybe need an extra push. And law has been very helpful in that. For example, France decided last week to ban the free versions of Microsoft 365 and Google Workplace from schools. And interestingly, the same thing happened already in Denmark and the Netherlands. And a sense of ethics is also a driving factor. So especially in Europe, Public organizations believe more and more that public money should go into public code and not into Microsoft. And also um, in the Netherlands, we have an interesting public debate for schools where we question 
Um, isn't it hypocritical if we don't allow our children on TikTok, but we do give them a Chromebook and ask them to follow their classes on Teams? Um, so ethics is a driving factor as well, which is not often recognized. It's a really interesting point that I have ne- never thought about. Um, so you're based in Europe. Are there any geographies that you're seeing that are particularly aggressive here that are that are that like this idea? Uh, you know, we think about this in terms of compliance or data sovereignty regulations, which are the a lot of the drivers here too, right? Yeah, I would say Europe is leading in it. Uh, in Europe, the general tendency is to be very skeptical and judgmental about tracking by monopolies like Microsoft and Google. Um, one explanation for this might be that privacy has a subtly different meaning in Europe compared to the US. So, for example, um, if there is a privacy scandal, then people in the US tend to be very upset when actual harms have been done. Well, in Europe, we are already upset just by the fact that privacy was violated. Even if there was no harm, we are still upset. So this might be one of the reasons uh, that just crossing the boundary is already beyond limit here. And another uh, possible explanation is that in the US, there tends to be the tendency to be skeptical of government surveillance, but less skeptical of corporates. There's more trust in corporates. Well, in Europe, it's exactly the opposite. So in Europe, we trust the government a lot more than our profit-driven organizations. For example, when there was the Facebook Cambridge Analytica scandal in the Netherlands in a public debate I attended, one of the proposed solutions was that we would ask our government to create a social media platform because the government we can trust. I think this is a fault that cannot be realistically done in the US. Um, So those might explain it, but it must be said that while Europe is leading, the concern for privacy is rising globally. We see that also in the next cloud business. So we have most market presence in Europe, but we get customers from everywhere. And this is also proven by research. So an interesting study from 2019 with more than 25,000 global internet users showed that 78% of the participants were very concerned about their digital privacy being at risk. And the same study also showed that this is probably going up. So more people are getting concerned because half of the participants said they were more concerned than a year ago. So while culturally we might have some nuances in how we talk about privacy, uh, we tend to universally agree that privacy is a, a universal human right, and this opens up the global market really. Yeah, I know uh, TechStrong Research ran uh, ran a study uh, around trust, uh, around cloud provider trust, uh, and it, you know it's another another one where people don't necessarily trust all of uh, you know some of the larger hyperscale cloud providers. Uh, for for that very reason, right? For their for privacy and for competition uh, things, and th- you know that's something that should never even be a question, right? It should there should it should always be I completely trust my you know yeah. the people that I'm working with. Uh, but they worked hard on breaking that trust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's such a big it's such a big important word, and, and you know, again, we're seeing it playing out in real time now uh, as well. 
Nextcloud and Linode both stand as alternatives, right, for what may be considered a mainstream choice or the status quo. Right? It's easy to go with with some of these other these other folks just because it's the way you do it. Uh, Nextcloud for productivity and collaboration tools. Linode for cloud infrastructure. Why do you think the market for alternatives is so hot right now? I think that's because not only the market is hot, but there is a whole societal shift happening in the technology industry under pressure of privacy. So you could actually say that the mere foundations and values and principles upon which big tech is built are actually eroding. So you could say that the pillars on which big tech are built are actively shaking. So one of the, there might be four pillars. So the first pillar might be public opinion, which we already talked about. Um, They are really losing their face, just like Shell is losing their face. They used to be a company where everyone is really impressed by and where everyone wants to work for, but they are losing their image. And a second pillar is uh, not so recognized, but very obvious, and that's the economy pillar, because there has been this long idea of that data is the new oil. Eh? With data-driven business models, you can get very rich. But this is actually not really the case. This is a scam. Um, many technology companies are not profitable. Linode is more profitable than Spotify. I dare to say that. I didn't even research the numbers of Linode, but it's just impossible that Linode is less successful because Spotify lost last year 40 million euros and GitLab also made losses only. Twitter lost, Airbnb lost millions of euros. Uber lost half a billion of US dollars last year. In fact, my favorite quote about this is that in 2019, Uber lost 8.5 billion US dollars. And that is 1 million US dollar per hour. What kind of business model is this? That's some serious money. (laughs) So the economic pillar is not so stable. It's badly shaking. And then there's the third pillar, which is the moral pillar, which we also already touched upon Big data is losing its face. We realize that privacy is a human right. And we start to understand perhaps that if you violate one human right, then you start to violate other human rights like discrimination or democracy. So there tend to be activists out there who want to force against that. And the last pillar is perhaps the most stable still, which is the pillar of innovation. I had a strong belief that humanity's progress will come inevitably from technology. And given that the next step of technology will be big data and AI, meaning that human progress and climate change and other societal problems depend on AI. Well, that's nonsense. That's really not going to be the case. Societal problems have nothing to do with AI. And the prime example is perhaps the societal problem of criminality which we try to solve everywhere in the world with more surveillance, more data, more AI. Well, in fact, these visions are not realistic, not proven to work and very expensive. And great ideas exist out there in social sciences that are not even looked at. They get no budget. They don't get implemented, but they are much more realistic, much more effective and much cheaper. 
So that's why I say in my TED talk, if we want to have people behave more sane, we should invest in human sanity and not in AI. So I really try to shake this pillar of innovation in my work, because if all the pillars are shaking, then the market for privacy solutions will, of course, become even more hot than it is already now. And the cement that holds some of that, some of those pillars, makes up some of those pillars is um, something that both NextCloud and Linode know all too well, which is open source. Uh, what is it about being, you know, based on open source that makes NextCloud so different from, you know, a Google Workplace or a Microsoft 365? In my opinion, the main difference is that the software is built by people who have a sense of ethics. So we have a vision of technology and we want technology to support freedom. And this is really embraced by everyone working for Nextcloud. And of course, transparency, which you get with open source is crucial for privacy as well, because you can't have privacy without transparency. And then the third point perhaps would be community and co-creation, which means that the products are open and it's a shared vision with the people whom our products affect. And these people also have a possibility to have a say in the creation, which you can't quite claim of a product of Microsoft. And there's the, also the, there's also the question of availability uh, as well. I know Nextcloud partnered with Linode to make uh, your solution. What is it? I think it's all in one, available on the Linode marketplace. What are the advantages for customers and end users to bundle these two services together? Well, with the one click on Linode, you really have the easiest way possible to get started. And Linode offers great services, good pricing, a trustworthy name. Linode also has very similar values as Nextcloud and we follow the same ethics, we have the same standards, we exist for the same reason. And this is why I think a lot of users would be very happy and interested in using Nextcloud on a Linode infrastructure. And we also get some really good feedback from our users. Uh, some of them run previously installations, they configure it all by themselves and then they run into various problems even severe performance issues, which gives the users on the platform not the best experience. And that also can reflect negatively on the software of Nextcloud because they might think it's caused by the software while it's actually infrastructure or configuration. And then they decided to switch to all-in-one and they say it really has been running like a charm. One user said that uh, the Docker made it so easy to install and maintain. It was as easy and relaxed as a walk in the park. So we can take that compliment. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. And, it, you know, it's just great to have, you know, you know, to have choice in the market, right? You can't have a vibrant ecosystem unless you have, you know, you have, people have choices to be, to make. Exactly. We need variety in the market. So I want to ask one last question as we, you know, as we sort of wrap up here and you've got such a great background and, and such a wealth of knowledge, you know, what do you think is most important for companies to keep in mind as data continues to expand at breakneck speed? What advice would you give other companies? Important to understand is that it won't continue like this. It's important to keep in mind that the future of big data will be zero data. So try to minimize your data collection, differentiate your innovation strategy watch my TEDx talk. <laughs> and of course, find reliable and trustworthy cloud providers like Linode.
Daphne, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, just fascinating and just so much chock full of good information. Where can people find you if they want to find out, get some more information around NextCloud? Of course, you can find out more about NextCloud on nextcloud.com and you can find out more about me on DaphneMiller.nl. Daphne, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Craft of Code. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please subscribe to make sure you're the first to hear when we release future episodes. And we'd love it if you left a review. 